Good morning. That was a group effort. It's a good day to have a good day because it's a God day. Whenever God's on the throne, yeah, we're good, right? And when is he always on the throne? Always. Thank you very much. <laughs> Romans 13. Woo-hoo. Uh, Romans 13, if you would turn in your Bible to it, I just want to give a little shout out and a little encouragement to be Bible girls. I know the phones are very popular to read your Bible on, but um, uh, you moms, um, your kids really most of the time don't know whether you're uh, doing a a text or Instagram or your Bible. Um, I I think it's a powerful thing to see uh, uh, a mom who's a lover of God's word, it plants that seed of importance. Also, you see the whole context. Uh, When you open your Bible, you see the whole page. And um, be markers of your Bible, post notes, uh, wear out your Bible. It's a good thing. It's a good habit to be. Um, So I just felt led by the Lord to give you that encouragement as we start today's uh, journey through Romans 13. Uh, As we begin, I want to encourage you that it's not a separate conversation. It's a continuation of all that we learned in the previous chapters, especially Romans 12. Romans 12 said the powerful and empowering words, I beseech you, I beseech you, I beg you to put your life entirely in God's hands. You don't belong to the world. Um, not anymore. You don't. You maybe used to belong to the world, but you don't belong to the world. So de- don't let the world's way of thinking squeeze you into thinking their thoughts. No, we need to think God's thoughts. That's why the Word of God is so important to us, that we know what He thinks, we know what He says, we know what's on His heart, and it penetrates our very being. Don't let the world squeeze you. You need to decide to be God's all in. When our life belongs to him, he gives us a renewed mind, as we talked about last week. And therefore, we have divine discernment, divine wisdom, and divine direction. We need to ask for it. We need to seek it. And then we need to listen to it. And then we need to follow it. Romans 12 ends with the perfect title, for Romans 13. Do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The great black scientist George Washington Carver was a Christian. He once said, I will never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. Overcome evil with good. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for your love, your truth, your wisdom, your direction, your discernment. And God, we need this. It's complicated times. And God, we need to navigate them with your GPS, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I just can't resist telling you about a little bit about my mission trip. 
this week. It was so exciting. It was over the top, over the top, exciting. And it goes along perfectly with Romans 12, which says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The ministry that I went to, I have just a few uh, refrigerator magnets, if you would like to pray for them. They're called Casa de Pastor, uh, the house of God, God the Father, the Lord. And what it is, is two very white gringo girls, um, single women, they've never been married, they felt, felt called uh, to move to this little town below Ensenada and uh, to do rescue work to rescue and, and provide safe haven for women that are in dangerous situations, sing, uh, moms that need to escape with their children. And so they just stepped out in faith and did it, and eventually people came alongside of them, and when one rich man said, you have some land, what do you want to do with it? One of the, uh, Lisa, uh, one of the missionaries, said, I would like a Hotel Six complex, and I'd like a courtyard in the middle and a big kitchen and classrooms below. Might as well say what you want. <laughs> he said, all righty. And he built it. And so these, these women uh, escape and uh, have a safe haven. Well, um, you guys, we asked for clothes. And, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I couldn't hardly walk in my living room. I had so many bags. I couldn't take my hair dryer because I wanted to squeeze la one last jammies in the corner of the car. Well, um, a divine appointment it was. The first morning I was there, I was sitting across the table from um, uh, one of the leaders. Her name is Jeannie Sue. And she got a call, and she was chatting, chatting, chatting. I could tell that, um, that a church in Mexico had called her, and there was a woman in danger and had to escape. And Jeannie Sue just said calmly, okay, put her on a bus. She's ours. That means lock, stock, and barrel. When you take in a woman, you, you have to, with, and she arrived with her clothes on her back, on her baby's back. She had to dress her baby as a boy. Uh, so that she wouldn't be detected as she escaped for her life. So she arrived with the clothes on her back. And I'll tell you, in those sacks, we have enough clothes to last that baby till she's five. And enough clothes for that darling, sweet, tender-hearted young woman because of you. Because of you. And uh, we need to live this truth. No matter what's going on, there's government uh, and, and in Mexico, in some areas, the government is not, not safe. Not, it's very corrupt. Anyway, moving on. Again, Romans 12 ends. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 13 starts out with these penetrating words. Uh, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no government... No authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. The Living Translation puts it this way, obey the government, for government is God's idea, and he put it there. So what does that mean exactly? It means, again, that government order is God's idea. He's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos or disorder or anarchy. Even the animal kingdom has 
organizational leadership. If you've ever seen a big flock of geese flying south, they have a point bird that leads the way. And the rest of the birds go in a V. And he navigates the, the, uh, the, the streams of air and, and the direction. Organizational leadership in the animal, in the elephant herd, when there's danger to the herd, it's the dominant male that leads. But when the herd needs water, it's the oldest female that leads. Beehives are organized and colonies are organized and people dwell better together when there's organization and leadership. Absolutely. For us right now, it's interesting that this chapter comes right on the heels of the most controversial and heatedly debated uh, election, I think, in in the history of our nation. So, So what if? What if the government right now isn't the one you voted for? What, what if? What if you voted for this government, but later on you go, oh my goodness, they're, they're bringing in things that are contrary to my moral values. What happens then? But we must remember that the first people that received this letter and read it were Christians. And where did they live? Rome. And who was the leader? Nero. And, and the very name. Nero's name ranks in the top ten lunatic (laughs) rulers, immoral, irrational leaders of all time, top ten. So how could that possibly have made sense to them? How could it? And for Paul, how could his own words possibly make sense to him when he was under Roman guard? on a Roman prison ship, and sitting in a Roman cell? How could that make poss- possibly make sense to him? Well, in this chapter, he walks it, God walks it out for us, starting with number one. Number one is respect for authority. So let's read on and just get the, um, get the gist of it. Again, let every soul be subject to authority. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what's good, and you will have praise from the same. For he's a minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. I'm going to pause that and back up and just stop at five. So let's talk about that, um, that authority situation. Uh, laws, in a good sense, and law enforcement are good. When I was 16, I got my driver's license the day I turned 16. I failed the first time, got in the line a second time, and got my license. Probably wasn't a really good idea for anybody. Within the first few months, I had gotten three traffic tickets. 
They took away my, um, they took away my license, probably saved my life and other people's lives, probably. (laughs) I'm thankful for brave policemen, brave policemen and soldiers who are bold and put themselves in harm's way to enforce laws that save lives. It's a good thing. Verse 4, for he's a minister to you for good. But if you do, uh, do evil, be afraid. I'll tell you, until I was 21, I was kind of afraid of cops. I still slow down <laughs> when I see one, just saying. Um, but the Bible says he's an avenger against those who do evil. Good. I have to totally admit, I love the Avengers movies. Love them. I love them. I love it when these guys get all fired up and they have superpowers. And they go after the bad guys. I love it. I just love it. I I sometimes watch them five or six times. Yes. Because it appears that the evil guys, the bad guys, it appears sometimes that they have superpowers. But they have no moral boundaries. And so to have law enforcement keeps those guys in check. So let's go back to Roman times. Let's go back to Roman times, to the times of Jesus. And we will look at two examples. First of all, Jesus. He blazed the trail in all areas of life. Matthew 26. Jesus knew that a firestorm was coming his way, aimed at him. So he prepared his disciples by telling them to watch and pray, but they didn't. That was an error, a major error. So when the authorities came into the garden that they had been praying with swords and spears, what did Peter do? He picked up a sword and flung it and cut off the ear ear of a little innocent bystander, the, the, uh, one of the, the high priest's servants. And what did Jesus, I can just see the look on Jesus' face. He said, Peter, put away your sword. Everyone that lives by the sword will die by the sword. Basically, he said, Peter, that's not our way. That is not our way. That's not the way we're going to do this. Because then he said a very important statement. He said, don't you know? That my father, if I ask him, he could, bring set, he could bring 12 legions of angels. How many, how many angels are, are 12 legions? 72,000 angels. And this would be done. But just Jesus didn't call in the guards. Because listen to this statement. He said, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus. It must happen thus. This moment breaks my heart that these powerful, wicked men would have authority over the Savior to arrest him. But God allowed it. But God allowed it. And ultimately, think about it, our salvation depends upon it. They wounded our Saviors. But the Bible tells us, that the very wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
His ways are higher than our ways. Therefore, we must trust him. So then, as I've been walking through this chapter, so then, I say, so then, Lord, what about the Roman government itself? Why them? And why then? Why, Lord, would you send the Messiah, the sweetest, most gentle man that ever walked on the face of the earth? Why would you send him then when the Roman government ruled most of the known world at that time? Why did Jesus come for such a time as that? Well, historically, historically we know that Romans were master builders. And in their reign, they built, built a vast network of highways. Never had happened on the face of the earth to have paved roads and highways that were efficient and well-built and easy to travel on. So that when persecution came against the Christians later and they had to flee from Jerusalem, they could obey the commandment to go to all, all ends of the earth, which they could. How about language? As the Romans conquered different peoples and they kept conquering different societies, they were molded and forced to learn the, the, the language of the Romans, which was Greek. And so country after country, country after country were speaking Greek. Again, the gospel could be communicated in a language that people could understand. Paul spoke Greek. Greek. That's one of the reasons he was so highly affected. God knows what he's doing. We don't always, but he does, always. Third, but Lord, <laughs> I had a, a lot of debates with the Lord in preparation for this particular chapter, but Lord, it was the Roman government, governor, the Roman governor, Pilate, who talked with Jesus face to face. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, but Pilate condemned him to death. And it was Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross and watched him die. Yes, yes, but it was Roman soldiers and leaders that experienced supernatural events when all of this was happening. They experienced that it was pitch black at noontime. They experienced the earthquakes that happened afterwards. Romans, you know, they had a bazillion gods, but none of them had, had real superpowers. They experienced that personally. And the centurion, who was the overseer of it all, at the very end, he cried out, surely, surely, this was the Son of God. That centurion, he was in command of a hundred soldiers. A hundred soldiers. You can imagine what the, co the conversation was at night over campfires. They had no TV or newspapers or internet. But those soldiers must have each told a hundred soldiers. Who would have told a hundred soldiers? Who told a hundred soldiers? It was the hottest news on the planet. It went viral because of the Romans, because of the Romans. Amazing. 
Did this ungodly government conquer and win over Jesus? No, absolutely not. 350 years later, Christianity would be the official Roman religion. Hallelujah. Our God is an awesome God. Before all this happened, before all this happened, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. If I was Peter, I would have said, so you said no to that, right? <laughs> he said, no, he can't do that. But, but Jesus didn't say no to Satan, and Satan did sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus said, when you return, strengthen your brethren. In the end, all these events manifested black from white, black from white, good from bad, right from wrong. So it was evident. I love when God clarifies things. To the Christians in Nazi Germany, they were sifted like wheat. Romans twelve eighteen says, If it is possible, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it's possible, and sometimes it's not. Corrie Tim Boone and her family were quiet, peaceable, extreme law-abiding citizens in their area, lovers of God. In World War II, when the government, the Nazi government, conquered the Netherlands and started to arrest their Jewish neighbors, they overcame evil with good. By civil, please write these words down, civil disobedience, not uncivil disobedience. In civil disobedience, illegally, they started hiding Jews so they wouldn't be arrested and sent to camps. And to feed them, them and their friends, they started printing um, counterfeit ration cards and used it to illegally buy food to feed these people. And then they illegally smuggled them over borders. And ultimately, just their little family and their friends saved almost 800 men, women, and children. December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks, a little black woman, 42 years old, moved from the back of the bus, which was against the law, for a black woman, and she sat in the front. Rosa said, I instantly felt God give me the courage to endure what it would ever happen next. She was small, but she had a big God who hates bad laws. She didn't just do it for herself. She did it to blaze the trail to make it better for others behind her. She had purpose in her disobedience. She did, absolutely. Martin Luther King he organized peaceful, peaceful protests. And he had freedom buses. But on those freedom buses, they had the law of God. And he would say to the people that rode them and who were to go to protest, he said, you must love your enemies and turn the cheek. If you can't do that, get off the bus. And I believe that God wants to say that to us. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. In the late 1800s, groups of Christians formed 
the Underground Railroad. I've driven through some of those towns and followed the trail of the Underground Railroad. It's awesome. It's awesome what they did. And they did it to help slaves escape from the south to the north. Civil disobedience. It was illegal and dangerous, not just for those that were rescued, but for the rescuers. For Esther, it was against the law of her country to go before the king without permission, without an invitation. But a new law had just been enacted to kill thousands of innocent people. So she broke the law. She broke the law. She had to, to obey the law of love. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In 1535, only the religious elite had a Bible. William Tyndale, one of my personal heroes, went to London to request from the governing powers permission to translate the Bible into English. At that time, it was only written in Latin or in Greek. They refused to give him permission. He disobeyed. He said, I defy the Pope and his laws. If God spare my life, I will cause the boy who drives the plow, meaning the farm worker, to know more scriptures than the priests. The priests, even in those days, they could not read the Bible. They had no idea what they were saying in Latin. Tyndale was a brilliant scholar with a call in his life. Often he had to run for his life as authorities, burnt printing presses, and his finished transcript. But he persevered. Again, he's one of my personal heroes, and it's his translation that is the background for the New King James Bible. I will go on. <laughs> just, just a few more, few more um, illustrations It was illegal in the late 1980s for anyone to own a Bible in Eastern Europe. But my husband, George, went behind the Iron Curtain with Brethren Andrew and who smuggled Bibles. They would have to go through dark alleys, meeting strangers in the middle of the night. They would have to bribe crossing guards. They used American candy bars and American cigarettes. (laughs) But one Bible, one Bible for an entire church was priceless, priceless. They didn't carry a gun, but they were confident that the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. Now moving on to verse 7. Render therefore all to their due, taxes to whom taxes, custom to custom, fear to fear, honor to honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear witness. You shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, it's all summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love them. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We're going to go to a moment of taxes. Taxes. 
um, addressing this unpopular subject, what about taxes? Most of us feel like they're all too high already. (laughs) I want to warn you, ain't seen nothing yet. Ain't seen nothing yet. So does civil disobedience apply in that? Well, Jesus said, render, render. So one day, as we know this story from Matthew 22, I'm going to turn, turn your Bibles to Matthew 22. Oh, I have it on the screen. There was a clever trap and a penetrating answer from, uh, from Jesus about a question as they brought to Jesus. I do need to turn to Matthew 22. Sorry. Oh, here it is. Here's my bookmark, I think. Sorry. Maybe not. Grabbed the wrong Bible this morning. I'm just letting you sink this in. <laughs> so, one day uh, they, pers- uh, they came to him and asked him this question. What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose inscription and image is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus was so smart. He said, therefore, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. But he said something very important. As we look at this next slide, render to God the things that are God's. Whose image is on you? Well, God says when he made man and woman, he said, in the image of God created he you. You. When you look in the mirror, whose image Do you have on your face, as you look at people all around you, the beautiful faces? I love Bible study. I love looking at your faces. I love looking at your children. People are made in God's image. And again, he implores us to put your entire life in his hands. What a good word that was about all of this. So... So Jesus said, whose image is this? As we look at the heart of this chapter, as we see this in our lesson this week, we saw some examples. We saw some examples of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe that Daniel in Daniel 6 is probably the most complete package um, many of you know the story, and your children probably know the story of Daniel and the lion's den. But truth is, if you just know that little piece and that piece is kind of clear to you, you are missing the package. It is a gorgeous package. We need to be readers of the entire story. The whole book of Daniel is a complete masterpiece. Daniel wasn't didn't belong in the land of Babylon. He didn't belong. In fact, it was because of disobedience, ungodliness in his nation Israel, that the Babylonians had completely destroyed uh, their cities and took them captive. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not 
belong in Babylon. But they adjusted. They adjusted. And they were peaceful citizens. They were respectful citizens. So much so, in the later years of Daniel's life, the new king, Darius, when he took control, he needed good leadership that he could trust. First of all, there was 120. Daniel was one of the best. But then there was the top three. Daniel was the one that Darius trusted most. And the others were so jealous, and they thought, how can we tear him down? How can we find fault against him? And even though they tried, you know what? They couldn't. So the governors and the satraps, it says in verse 4 of Daniel 6, sought some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they couldn't find anything. There was no fault because he was faithful. Daniel was the kind of guy at the office, he never stole a pencil. He never did chit-chat at the water cooler. He was a man that was faithful and loyal and diligent. And so the king said, I'm going to raise him up. And they realized that the jealous winds couldn't pull him down unless they went against a law of Daniel's God. And so they, they talked the king into making it illegal to pray. When Daniel heard the word that it was signed, he went home in his upper room with his windows wide open toward Jerusalem. He knelt on, on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Civil disobedience. This story humbles me because it's not against the law to get on my knees three times a day, and I don't. But the times are coming when it's going to be a great idea. Teach your kids to get on their knees and pray to a God to help you navigate complicated times. He was willing to face the penalty He was arrested. It broke the king's heart. But his hands were tied because there was a law that couldn't be broken. But God rescued him in those times. And God will rescue us. And I want to leave with just a scripture that will set everything right and put everything in the right place at all times through all seasons. There have been godly people who have navigated complicated, difficult, dangerous times. And that's why God wrote and gave the prophecy of Jesus, which is Isaiah 9, 6. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And the government, child of God, will be on his shoulders. Will be on his shoulders through all seasons and all times. And his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. And his name shall be called Prince of Peace. That's why we must put our life in his hands and the responsibility for our lives on his shoulders. Who wants to say, Amen. Hallelujah.
Glory to God. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you. Sometimes there's instructions that are hard to understand. But God, as long as our heart is knit to you, step by step, you'll walk us on the high road. And God, we pray, Lord, we pray for each of us that you would just show us the right thing to do at the right time. If we've got to be brave, help us to be brave. But help us to keep the law, your law, the law of love. And Lord, right now we pray for our government. We pray for leaders, each one of them. We pray that you put your hand upon them, that you would knock on their doors of their hearts, that you would send godly influences around them. We pray for our nation, and we thank you that you are on the throne. In Jesus' name, amen.